0: There are two people on Discogs who claim to have the record, a guy named Danny Long and me. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a huge following
1: behind this record.
0: (laughs) Seven people want it. Oh, that's more than I would have expected. Yeah. Sorry, Psych Tim 420. You're going to have to find your own. (laughs) Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I'm starting an Etsy account, guys. It's finally happened. I'm going into the craft business. Wow. You made a formal announcement? You know, I'm announcing here. This is a bit of a sluice, if you will. Oh, a <laughs> juicy skloosie. Yeah. It's juicy, baby. See, I got this idea where I'm going to sell vegetables with hand-painted versions of 80s album covers on them, and I'm going to call it Casual Gourds. Oh. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Adorable. I like it, actually. Thank you. I'm co-host Jeremy, and I am also an archivist for the original garageband.com wow not the software yeah the website the website the replacement for mp3.com
1: yeah well good good deal that might tie into our featured artist i think it does <laughs> you you must have read all the way to the end of the story
2: <laughs> i started from the back
1: oh, okay <laughs> i'll make it sound like i i got to the end of the wikipedia article <laughs> beautiful beautiful so well good we got an archivist who can explain more about the cultural phenomenon that was garageband.com there are songs on it
2: you could listen to
1: yeah <laughs> yeah you could upload them if you recorded a song in your bedroom wow that's more than i knew <laughs> Well, we will get there. We will get there. But in the meantime, I am co-host Peter Cook. And you guys want to know what I got? Yes. What do you got? I got a G-I-R-L-F-R-E-N that's better than that. Oh. Do you see what I did there, Jeremy? Yeah. I combined the two bands. Yeah. Songs by the two bands that our featured artist is known for performing in. Yeah. That's Uh, clever. That is because our focus today is on Mr. Jerry Harrison, his 1988 album, Casual Gods, not Casual Gourds.
0: Yeah, they, we get confused a lot, but you gotta keep them separated.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, like the offspring said. Yes. <laughs> Jerry Harrison is best known for his work as the keyboardist and occasional guitarist in both the Modern Lovers and the talking heads two big ones
2: and producer of throwing copper by live
1: <laughs> wow you <laughs> you spoiled my big reveal for the end <laughs> yeah he, he's done a lot of production work he's done a lot that it was really fascinating diving into everything that jerry harrison has packed into a lifetime and it seems he's not done yet but before we go Into all that. Yeah, this is his second album of his solo career, released January 12th, 1988. And I'll just throw this out there now that most of this album was recorded in a bomb shelter in Harrison's hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We'll go into more details on that later on. But yeah, let's start by playing the opening song and lead single from the album, Rev It Up. So, of course, we are going with side A. Track one.
2: definitely felt like talking heads outtake <laughs> He just like snuck some vocals onto for me <laughs> it had some cool textures going on though much like talking heads
1: yeah yeah it's definitely not a far cry from the sound of talking heads which he was a, a part of yeah. so it makes sense a, ma- a major part of yeah that was my first thought i just got this album A week or two ago and I just threw it on in the past few days it was only five dollars bought it at Greenlight in Kalamazoo and I just thought why not let's try it out Jerry Harrison I remember Sean at corner record shop probably close to ten years ago at this point I feel like in the talking heads section there was a copy of the Jerry Harrison album, The Red and the Black, his first solo album that just sat. That was like, you would go to that section in, of the Talking Heads section, and that was the only thing in there, I seem to recall.
0: Yeah, there's always those kind of sections, like for the stores that will group solo artists with their more famous band that they were part of, like, you, know, you go to the Yes section, and it's just Rick Wakeman records, like that kind of thing. You see that all the time. Or you go to the Zeppelin section, and it's just Robert Plant's terrible solo albums.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's uh, In the Rolling Stones section, there's a, a Mick Jagger album that's, I think, from the 80s that I yeah, commonly yeah. find. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and The Red and the Black is the one that I remember seeing a lot, but it very prominently has Jerry Harrison on the cover this one does not we'll, we'll talk more about the cover of this album later i don't recall having seen this one before but it definitely as soon as i saw his name on it and five dollars i was like why not here's you know always looking for future features on i'd buy that for a dollar and you know i've spent the past few days with it it's a new record to me i wouldn't say that it's some unsung masterpiece, but I think it definitely has its merits. It's a good record. I will, you know, I'll say that out the gate. And and I think that's a, a fun song right there. It was written by Jerry Harrison <clears throat> along with Kenosha, Wisconsin based musician, John Seeger and Harrison's former bandmate in the modern lovers bassist Ernie Brooks, who actually assists Harrison in the production on this album. And that driving guitar riff that the song is based around was actually devised by the rhythm guitarist on this album, which is Alex Weir. Do any of you know that name?
0: Cousin of George and Lewis Johnson. You got it, Sean.
1: <sighs> yeah, he was actually a member of the Brothers Johnson at one point on their first few records. And he had also played with Jerry Harrison in talking heads and the stop making sense concert film.
0: Yep. I, b- I believe we mentioned that on the brothers Johnson episode early on. You can, yeah, in the concert film, you can see him there off to the side of the stage playing, doing a great job.
1: Yep. He also worked with the talking head side project, the Tom, Tom club. We'll find that a lot of the people who worked with talking Heads seem to follow Jerry Harrison around and the Tom, Tom club. They they seems like they were good people to work with, and I'm sure the paycheck was fantastic. It was, as I mentioned, it was the lead single from this record. Rev it up! It reached number seven on the U.S. rock tracks charts. It was also a big hit in Australia and New Zealand. The backing vocals are by a singer named Arlene Holmes. I couldn't find much info on her, but she seems to be a Milwaukee wisconsin-based singer and we'll talk about some of the other players on this as we go but i guess i'd first like to ask you guys if you really had any knowledge of jerry harrison outside of his work with the modern lovers and the talking heads anything he's done or any of his records prior to me saying that i wanted to feature this one
0: I just have this vague notion that I've listened to his records before and didn't like them and I haven't gone back to reevaluate that opinion in a very long time so I'm, I'm glad that you're taking the dive on this one.
2: Yeah I hadn't heard any of his solo stuff I've listened to a lot of modern lovers a lot of talking heads very familiar with that stuff but yeah I wasn't even aware he had solo stuff out there so it was uh interesting to dive in and this records it's just kind of a lot. It covers a lot of ground, uh, left me with a lot of ambivalent feelings. Sometimes it's really good. There's so some really good lyrics in there. Other times, I there's like sometimes where I was like, this
1: kind of sounds like 80s Bob Dylan that I don't like. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that I, when I initially put it on, it kind of felt like watered down talking heads, missing some of the distinct character that was my initial impression you know it's oh the playing's good but his voice has grown on me uh, as i've listened more and the more i paid attention to the lyrics yeah there's some interesting concepts and ideas there as well this album is fairly critically respected like it's not like you look it up and you see like one and a half two stars no i think it has like four stars on all music and uh You know, there are some varying opinions that, you know, it's like talking heads minus the fun party vibes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I can see that. Which I don't think. Yeah, this. And once we talk about the intent behind the album cover. Yeah, it's uh, Jerry Harrison's like maybe trying to say a lot, but not say anything specific. I I think he's trying to touch on a lot of different things. And that's sort of his career. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But Yeah, let's we'll we'll just go ahead and get into some of his background. His full name is Jeremiah Griffin Harrison, and he was born on February 21st, 1949, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. His mother studied and taught at the Art Institute of Chicago and the Leighton School of Art in Milwaukee. His father was a musician, as well as an executive at an advertisement firm. So Jerry was exposed to many artistic fields from a young age. He played in bands while attending Shorewood high school. And after graduating, he attended Harvard Harvard man. Yep. Where his focus was visual and environmental studies, his bachelor thesis being about the fields of painting, sculpture and drawing. So even his studies, he was covering A wide array of things. In 1971, the year before he graduated, he met aspiring Boston singer songwriter Jonathan Richman, who already had a band called the Modern Lovers. They were actually introduced by a mutual friend, Danny Fields. Does that name mean anything to either of you? No.
2: No.
1: So, Danny Fields was a music journalist who he had been connected to Andy Warhol's factory in the Velvet Underground. He was also a DJ for New Jersey's WFMU during its groundbreaking years in 1968 and 69.
2: The best station out there. Yeah. Sorry to all the other stations.
1: (laughs) It's it's a proven (laughs) fact. WFMU. Top of the pile. He additionally worked as a publicist for Electra Records at that same time. He did a lot of promotion for The Doors despite his dislike of frontman Jim Morrison. <laughs> he had also visited Ann Arbor and Detroit, Michigan in late 1968 at the suggestion of some fellow WFMU DJs to check out a radical rock outfit called the MC5. And while there, he discovered the mc5's little brother band as well the stooges and got both of the bands signed to electra records nice and wow. in the mid-70s he discovered a little group called the ramones and got them signed to sire records the album that or the the label that this album we're listening to today is on they have a song called danny says that's about danny fields so uh, he's responsible for all of that plus The formation of the classic lineup of the Modern Lovers is also Danny Fields doing, because he introduced Jerry Harrison and Jonathan Richmond to each other. Wow. So there's a really good documentary about Danny Fields. I believe it's called Danny Says. So Jerry Harrison became the keyboardist and occasional guitarist during the Modern Lovers' most celebrated years. For just a little background on the Modern Lovers, for those not familiar They're a Boston, Massachusetts band inspired by the Velvet Underground and the Stooges. They formed in 1970. Their self-titled debut was partially produced by former Velvet Underground member John Cale. It was not released until 1976, four years after it had been recorded and two years after the band broke up. But it did arrive just in time to be a major influence on the burgeoning punk movement. It's kind of the link between what the Stooges and the Velvet Underground were doing in the late 60s and early 70s, and what the Sex Pistols and the Ramones were doing in the mid to late 70s. It's the the bridge. Interesting.
2: I've never thought of them in that, in that light, but I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah, and
1: of course, with Jonathan Richman, he's an interesting character unto himself that I wasn't planning to go off into too much, because that's a whole different area, but I know you're a big fan of Jonathan Richman, Jeremy.
2: Oh yeah. He's more in the folky vein and very like literary smart guy, which is not what I think of when I think of a lot of punk music.
1: (laughs) Well, and that's, that's the direction. That's part of the reason the band broke up is famously, or at least I think it's well known is that he realized he no longer wanted to be playing loud fast rock music. He wanted to slow things down and play quieter acoustic kind of this acoustic troubadour singer songwriter style that totally was not what the modern lovers were doing. And he actually, this was a really interesting thing that I found. I wasn't familiar with at all is that that decision was partially influenced by a friend of his Graham Parsons. Oh, (laughs) Which I was like, how did that happen? Oh yeah, Graham Parsons attended Harvard. Oh, so he was in Boston. The international submarine band that he had before moving out to California and starting the Flying Burrito Brothers was a Boston-based group, and Graham Parsons is known as a country rock pioneer. And you know, he he was playing Jonathan Richmond all this old country <laughs> while they were hanging out in in Boston, and with time that influenced Richmond to go in a different direction. And I saw that uh, the death of Graham Parsons in September of 1973 also had a big impact on Richmond as far as deciding to go in a different direction. So that was a connection I had never heard about that I found kind of fascinating. Yeah, that's wild. Jonathan Richmond went on to a very critically acclaimed and long career after the modern lovers, Jerry Harrison would, of course, join the Talking Heads, and we'll talk more about that. But modern lover drummer David Robinson would go on to co-found another Boston band called The Cars.
2: And then play center for the San Antonio
1: Spurs? <laughs> oh, yeah. David Robinson. <laughs> You're right. The basketball player. No, that's not the same guy, Jeremy. Oh, okay. <laughs> David Robinson, you know, he drummed for The Cars, and he also designed the covers for their albums, some of their iconic covers for their albums. Modern Lover bassist Ernie Brooks would continue to work with Jerry Harrison. He's helping out on this album. And he also worked with uh, Ernie Brooks, that is, bassist from the Modern Lovers. also worked with David Johansson from the New York Dolls, Captain Beefheart guitarist Gary Lucas, and he had a group called The Flying Hearts with famed cellist, composer, producer, singer Arthur Russell, who actually also co-wrote and sang backing vocals on one song on this album, Arthur Russell, that is.
2: Interesting. So you can get Arthur Russell in the dollar bin if you know what to look for. Yeah. Uh,
1: This also, this next song, we're going to listen to that song now, A Perfect Lie. And it also features some Wicked bass synthesizer from founding Parliament Funkadelic member, Bernie Worrell, who also had played with the Talking Heads as well wow this thing's star-studded it is it is so yeah this this is a perfect lie side b track one Once I honed in on the lyrics on that track after I was, you know, kind of over how funky it is, because it's pretty dang funky. But once I honed in on the lyrics, I was noticing, wait a minute, this song, this song's about your partner learning some new moves in the bedroom while you're away and you come back to find that they've got some new moves and you're like, where'd you learn that? Uh, and it, it almost sounds like a Seinfeld type <laughs> plot line or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, ooh, this is scandalous. <laughs> Aside from Arthur Russell, Joyce Bowden is the other backing vocalist on that track. And she had worked with Ernie Brooks and Arthur L- Russell during their Flying Hearts period and would go on to tour with Harrison's band, which he called the Casual Gods. And she also worked with David Byrne and Joey Ramone. So that was her voice in there. I think this is the only track that she is on on this album. But that's so, yeah, Arthur Russell was involved with that one. He was singing in the background there and helped compose it, helped write it. Hmm.
0: Amazing. I got to say that Bernie Worrell edition with the bass synthesizer really elevates the song. I've heard it said before that the members of the Talking Heads kind of agreed that the band really came into their own once Bernie joined and just completely elevated everything they were doing or trying to do up until that point. And yeah, he just has got that golden touch.
1: Yeah. And from what I can tell, he does keys throughout this album too.
0: Yeah. It definitely looks like that.
1: But yeah. I know you like your synth bass, Sean. Mm hmm.
0: It's a fact, documented fact.
1: Some of the guitar work on that song was from English musician Robbie McIntosh, best known as the guitarist for The Pretenders from 1982 to 1987, soon to be featured on I'd Buy That for a Dollar. And he also played with Paul McCartney in the late 80s to the early 90s. And he actually also appeared on those more experimental ambient later Talk Talk albums like The Color of Spring and Spirit of Eden.
0: Man, those are such good albums. I
1: know that made me go back and just put those on and I hadn't listened to those in ages and yeah, those are incredible records kind of blew my mind when I first heard them about 10 years ago, I had no idea talk talk ever went in that direction. Mm -hmm. So I think he added some of those textures on those records between the end of the modern lovers in 1974 and, Him joining the Talking Heads in 1977, Jerry Harrison returned to Harvard to get his master's degree in architecture. He was actually offered a spot in the Talking Heads while still studying at Harvard in 1976. Talking Heads were aware of modern lovers, of course. And at the time, Harrison was broke though, and he didn't have the money to take a bus to New York City. So he and Ernie Brooks helped a family move to New York city and smuggled some gear along with them. So Jerry Harrison actually only had room for a guitar and amp. And when he showed up at talking heads practice with a guitar, they were confused because they had explicitly asked for a keyboardist. And they're like, we're getting the keyboardist from the modern lovers. And he shows up with a guitar, but they were like, well, he's come all this way. They started jamming. And even then the chemistry worked. So he joined pretty much immediately. He was the keyboardist guitarist for talking heads from 1977 to their dissolution in 1991. He released his first solo album, the red and the black in 1981. It actually, that prominently involves some work from a previously featured vocalist on I'd buy that for a dollar. Does anyone know who worked heavily? Like she, she did. Vocals and was a co-producer. She was involved in writing some of the lyrics and vocal arrangements on Jerry Harrison's first solo album.
0: Could it be Nona Hendrix? Ding 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 ding. I looked it up, I'm not gonna lie.
1: Oh <laughs> you know, that in that huge lead up, you,
0: you went and looked it up. Your your question took so long. I was like, I bet I can figure it out before he's done asking this question.
1: <laughs> yeah, Nona Hendrix heavily involved in that first Jerry. Harrison solo album like she almost seems like she's almost uh like on equal footing with him on that record fellow anarcho-communist i guess then yeah
2: that's what that that name comes from some like classic anarcho-communist literature but apparently jerry harrison did not really know
1: that <laughs> yeah yeah it wasn't what everyone thought it was the red and the black you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah the title yeah so this is his second solo album and it's it seems on discogs even they have the distinction of not listing this record casual gods and its follow-up his third solo album don't list those under jerry harrison list them under jerry harrison colon casual gods because apparently that's like the backing band on it is considered casual gods the way this album came about was between recording sessions with talking heads Jerry Harrison had returned to his hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin to care for his mother. His father had passed away and his mother had cancer. Uh, So he took care of her during the day. When he went out on the town at night, he would see the younger siblings of musicians from when he was in high school, bands in Milwaukee. And he wanted to get moving on his next solo album and ask them what was the best recording studio in the city. And they suggested recording with a guy in his basement named David Vartanian. And Harrison recognized that this was the younger brother of his best friend in elementary school, Michael Vartanian, who was sadly uh, no longer living at that point. And the Vartanian family had built a bomb shelter under their house, and David Vartanian had become interested in audio recording. He'd built a studio in this bomb shelter And produced commercials there, so Harrison arranged a deal to rent the studio at night when David wasn't working on commercials. So almost the entire album was recorded at DV Recording in Milwaukee. You'll see that in the liner notes. DV Recording, and that's where that is. David Vartanian. The album artwork. We'll finally get to this because it's this really struck me when I. This is maybe what caught my eye first was the photographs. On the record are from a series by Brazilian photographer Sebastio Salgado, and they're of the Sarah Palata gold mine in Brazil. Jeremy, looking at that right now, and I suggest our listeners pull up the album artwork for Jerry Harrison Casual Gods. What 1990s music video are you reminded of?
2: (laughs) Oh, is that Smashing Pumpkins?
1: Bullet with butterfly Butterf- wings. <laughs> yeah, bullet
2: with butterfly. <laughs> yeah, wings.
1: Ap- apparently Samuel Bear, the director of that video, he was inspired by this same series. Or, oh, interesting. Or maybe Billy Corgan as well, because I'm sure Billy Corgan would like to get behind the concepts of, of their. But yeah, yeah. So that's I, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, wow, this looks. But it's it, this is it's pretty serious. The reason that Harrison included this on the album. So there's a a little notation on the sleeve that says, this is not a scene from a movie. These pictures were taken last year in Brazil. 50,000 men are digging for gold in a hole that was once a mountain. Though they look like swarming ants or endless caravans of pack animals, they are men reduced to this condition by poverty and the bewildering indifference of casual gods. Ooh. Some heavy stuff.
2: Sounds like uh, the words of someone who would write an
1: album called the red and the black. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, you know, I I don't know that any of the lyrical themes and maybe I maybe I just missed them. I don't know that any of the lyrical themes lean into this too much. I don't know. Did you pick up on anything? I caught some
2: lines here and there that seem to allude to sort of political or anti-capitalist feelings, but not like whole songs. It's just like little passing phrases where I was like, oh
1: yeah, I think they leaned into it heavier on the artwork than in the songs themselves. So, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a unique album cover. It's and to know the intent behind it.
0: Yeah. The album cover has always stuck out to me when I see it flipping through the bins. And I didn't realize that was a photograph. I guess I just kind of assumed it was like a Renaissance painting or something. It looks more like a painting when you just casually flip past it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I definitely didn't pick up on what it was just looking at the cover initially.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there. Well, we'll we'll go ahead and play another song, one that sounds heavily loaded, and that's Man With A Gun, side A, track three.
0: the rules do not apply on a wire a high wire she likes to balance. On a knife. We've said before that a lot of this album sounds like it could have been talking head songs. and there's elements of that song that definitely remind you of that. But the thing I kept thinking about listening to that song, is it almost sounds like the core of it is like a folk song, especially the way he's singing and everything. It's like a folk song that people added a bunch of funky elements to. And then it comes off with this like kind of unique final product in a way.
1: Yeah. They can't really turn the funk off on this album. And in a way, yeah, it makes for, instances where maybe that wasn't where a song of that nature would typically take that direction it makes for an interesting listen Mm -hmm. the drumming on that was from yogi horton and he had worked with aretha franklin cheryl lynn and george benson and he also played on the soon to be featured on i'd buy that for a dollar it's all right i see rainbows by yoko ono
0: You're just dropping all kinds of hints of upcoming scheduled releases.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can stick to our schedule here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The song was also featured in the 1988 film Two Moon Junction. I've not seen that one, but it was also featured, an instrumental version of it had appeared in the 1986 film Something Wild, directed by Jonathan Demi do you know what his relevance is to talking heads
2: was he the guy who shot stop making
1: sense yeah he directed yeah. stop making sense yeah Jonathan Demi I've actually seen that one have, have you guys seen something wild no with Mm-mm. Ray Liotta and Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels it's a strange movie the reason I watched it was the feelies are the band performing at the high school reunion in the film <laughs> So, and I love the feelies, so that's why I watched it. But I'll have to revisit it because it seems to come up fairly often on podcasts I listen to Something Wild by Jonathan Demi. So, and I'll keep an eye out for the instrumental version of Man with a Gun next time I watch it as well. So, after the Talking Heads disbanded in 1991, Jerry Harrison really turned his focus to production. His last solo album came out in 1990. And he hasn't released anything in over 30 years as far as solo albums go. He had done a little bit of production work previously. He had produced fellow Milwaukee band, The Violent Femmes, their album, The Blind, Leading the Naked in 1986, and a few other things. But yeah, in the 90s, there's some kind of major 90s alternative rock albums, as you alluded to at the beginning, Jeremy. Yeah. He produced god shuffled his feet for the crash test dummies so that's mm, 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 mm. he produced that live throwing copper seminal 90s album yeah as 1994 as they come and then a couple years later the verve pipe villains
2: kalamazoo's finest yeah
1: yeah i think there's like three michigan cities that claim them or don't want to claim them yeah (laughs) depending on who you're talking to
2: (laughs) there was a while they were playing the university in kalamazoo like every year it seemed like and i just happened to be walking on campus when they were playing and they were playing the freshmen and i was like going somewhere and i went and did stuff and like was walking back to my car and it was the end of their set, and they were getting encored, and they played "The Freshman" again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> song so nice, we played it twice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, can anyone name another Verve Pipe song?
1: Yeah, "Photograph."
0: Photograph? All right, cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was that preceded the, the Freshman. It got a little play on MTV. It wasn't as. Can
0: anyone good. other than Peter name more than one <laughs> Verve <Colors>. Pipe song? <laughs> they All right. One. Never mind. I'm wrong. Everyone's super fans. <laughs> they, Everyone they loves also the had, Verve Pipe.
1: They also had the song Villains, the title track from that album. <laughs> it got some play on MTV. Uh, Sean, where have you been?
0: Yeah. Avoiding the Verve Pipe, apparently.
2: <laughs> yeah, you didn't leave, Kalamazoo. We kicked you out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because <laughs> I couldn't name more than one Verve Pipe song. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> well, going back to Jerry Harrison... As much as I'd love to just keep talking about the verb Pipe. In 1996, Jerry Harrison, along with former Talking Heads members Tina Weymouth and Chris France, they released the album No Talking, Just Head as simply The Heads, sans David Byrne. No David Byrne. And so what do you think he did? He sued them! <laughs> because it was still presenting too much like The Talking Heads. Uh, it was settled out of court the album was released but it received negative reviews apparently that was intended to be an ongoing thing but as far as i know it never really went beyond that one album the group the talking heads or talking heads i keep saying the talking heads and i don't know if some purist is going to say it's just talking heads <laughs> but i think you they, just did
0: yeah i i just you're, did you're, you're your own purist <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's my life right there. Oh, it's true. In Normally
2: a... it just happens inside Peter's head, but we get to see it play out now.
1: <laughs> so they did reunite to perform a few songs for their 2002 induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but that was it. But it and the rest of the members and David Byrne, as far as I can tell, they've just never really been on... I don't even want to say bad terms. I just don't know if they're on any terms at all. They... It I, I get the impression he's a great artist that's maybe a bit of a cold human.
2: Yeah, and I think he just doesn't want to keep he doesn't seem like someone who wants to keep redoing old stuff. He's he just keeps moving along to new things. Yeah.
1: I mean he and he's had a very prolific and successful career. Yeah. I mean he's still, you know, performing in to massive crowds who are ready to hear whatever he's doing. Yeah. Jerry Harrison, as as far as his personal life goes, he's been married since the late 80s. He has three children, lives in California, seems to really be an entrepreneur on the side, or maybe that's mainly what he's doing now. He was the chairman of the board for GarageBand.com, a fantastic internet music resource that he co-founded in the late 90s. And that's I think that ended around 2010, but it was one of the as Jeremy said at the beginning, it was it kind of picked up where mp3.com left off. It was a place that you could independent artists could post their music for others to hear, a little music sharing community.
2: And people that post non-independent artists music without their
1: knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Is that the you didn't use it that way, did of you? Of course not.
2: <laughs> I used Napster for that. <laughs> and then LimeWire and then Kazaa.
1: Oh man, this is a trip down memory lane. Yeah. Not that I ever touched any of those. You know, <laughs> yeah. file Peter sharing. Cook.
0: Never touched a jazz cigarette, never pirated an album, never downloaded a car.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I know my place. Yeah, he seems to really be <laughs> in into... <laughs> Yeah, Jerry Harrison seems to really be into you know the whole startup thing. I, I there was uh he was on Mark Marin's WTF last year talking about how he had was involved in some like uh anti-snake venom thing that's supposed to be much cheaper than your average you know like what you normally would have to pay getting if you're bitten by a snake like something you can just take and get you to the hospital. Yeah he he's really into all this kind of stuff. Um I found his LinkedIn Jerry Harrison is on LinkedIn because he's also the founder and chairman of the board at Red Crow Equity Crowdfunding, a web-based direct investment platform that connects financial and human capital to healthcare startups. So, yeah, that's what he's doing nowadays with a lot of his time.
2: You can take the man out of Harvard, but you can't take the (laughs) Harvard out of the man.
1: That's perfect. (laughs) Well, Sean, Mm -hmm. I was wondering if by chance you had an opportunity to think of a few recommended similar albums to this one.
0: I did think of a few recommended similar albums, but first I got to ask, did you happen to mention David Van Tegum at all yet on this episode? And I just missed it or forgot.
1: No, no, I, I have not.
0: Okay. Cause he's on percussion on a few tracks on this record. I don't think we played any of those, but before I tell you my list, David Van Tegum is a musician I really like. I bought his first two records, "These Things Happen" and "Safety in Numbers," like three years ago, with the intention of doing one of them on an episode. It'll happen eventually. But he's a great percussionist that did like avant-garde influenced new wave records in the mid '80s, and no one talks about him. He's great. Cool. Yeah. There's so there
1: are there is so much connected to this album, once I started getting into the players and who was involved, I mean, you know, you see Arthur Russell's involved in something that you're finding for, this is about as cheap of a record as I was going (laughs) to find with Arthur Russell's name on it. Yeah, uh, definitely. But yeah, it seemed even some of the lesser known names had been involved in some really interesting things. So I'm glad you added that one.
0: Yeah. David started playing with uh, Steve Reich, the famous minimalist composer and then went to work with brian eno and then you know talking heads and went on from there nice but as far as my official recommended albums first one the pretenders self-titled from 1980 coming soon to i would buy that for a dollar
1: yeah we've teased it twice now
0: yep Next one that I added while listening to, I think, the first song that we played today, Huey Lewis and the News, Sports, from 1983. There's definitely some similarities in style between those two albums, I think.
1: Yeah, that R&B influence, for sure. Mm -hmm. A
0: little bit of pub rock.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Previously featured on I'd Buy That for a Dollar, classic episode. Classic
0: episode. Next one, Big Audio Dynamite. This is Big Audio Dynamite from 1985. Oh wow, you know about that band.
1: Isn't that Mick Jones from the Clash? Isn't he involved in Big Audio Dynamite? Am I mistaken?
0: Correct. Mick Jones from the Clash, along with several other UK music celebrities kind of picking up where the clash left off doing a little bit of new wave but with a whole lot of extra influences in there and very funky material so that was something that i definitely thought of that's a good comparison to this jerry harrison record last suggestion and the only one from the same year 1988 that i own a record called what up dog by was not was you guys know that album by chance does that have Walk the Dinosaur on it? It sure does.
1: Do you know that song, Jeremy?
0: That doesn't ring a bell. Open the door. I, you, you would the... recognize oh, yeah. it. Everybody walk the
1: dinosaur. Yeah, I know that.
0: That's the one. Great band, honestly. I think people have either forgotten about them or just think of them as kind of a novelty, goofy band. But they're really good and definitely something that we should feature on the show eventually.
1: Yeah, I think that will happen eventually like the Tame Impala song.
0: And those are my recommended albums.
1: So so good. You got the kind of, feel like you captured a good spirit of this album, you know, stuff that's of that era that often gets overlooked, uh, neglected. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's with these kind of albums, it's not the main person from the bands that I know. It's a player. It's probably not any good. It's $5. It's easy to just look and, you know, think there's not going to be anything worthwhile there, but there's something here. I, I'm not, like I said, I I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I I think it's a good album. And since we look into the stories behind things, how many albums have we featured that were recorded in a bomb shelter?
0: That's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We should do a whole month of only bomb shelter albums.
1: (laughs) That'll be our uh, season five. Opening theme, <laughs> bomb shelter,
2: and we can't, we can't use this one.
0: Yeah. The only one we know of so far. <laughs> it's a challenge. We got to get deep in the bins to find a whole month's worth of material.
1: All right. Well, I think we can wrap things up here. I was thinking we could go out on the track, aka love, which is the only song not recorded. In the bomb shelter, it was recorded at Sigma Sound Studios in New York. So, it, are you sure this,
0: that's where Sigma Sound Studios is?
1: Not the one in Philadelphia. They're, this is the New oh, York one. Oh, uh, okay. Yep. They must have had multiple locations. And this one is interesting to me because it has what I almost think of as being some proto 90s industrial music <laughs> sounds on it. So, yeah. Keep an ear out for that, and this is the end of yet another episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar.
0: I am your co-host, Peter Cook. And I am your co-host, Jeremy Ruggles. And I am your co-host, Sean Hartman. Did you like
2: how I said it in a way that sounded like mine was the end and then you still had to go, Sean?
0: <laughs> I didn't really think of it as that. It was just like, oh, we're doing a fun thing here. I'll join in cool goodbye cool ending